This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. Thank you for listening. You're listening to the HSBC Global Research Macro Viewpoint, our weekly review of the key reports from our economists and strategists across the globe. Coming up this week, we assess the impact of the latest supply shock on Europe. We consider whether higher US interest rates could lead to a weaker dollar. And we find out what the latest PMI data can tell us about the global economy. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, the 7th of April, 2022. Our full disclosures and disclaimers can be found in the link attached to this podcast. Hello, I'm Aline Van Dyne. And I'm Piers Butler. We begin here in Europe, where the region's economies are battling a host of problems, from soaring energy prices and inflation to plummeting business expectations and consumer confidence. Simon Wells, chief European economist, and his team have just published our latest quarterly outlook. He joins me now. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Hi. So in essence, Simon, Europe is experiencing a huge supply shock. That's right. And let's not forget that this comes off uh, the back of a previous supply shock in the form of of COVID, which still hasn't fully worked its way through the economy. But what we have now is yet another sharp rise in energy prices, of course. There's also additional trade disruption and supply blockages, which had started to ease. But recent events obviously uh, worsened that once again. But for Europe's economy as a big net energy importer, obviously uh, inflation, which is having the most acute effect here. So on our forecast, Eurozone inflation remains above 7% through most of the year. UK inflation in April could peak at 8.4% on our forecasts. And this, of course, entails a huge squeeze in real terms, incomes for your average uh, European household. So yes, uh, a very big shock hitting Europe's economies. And how does that impact the outlook for growth in Europe? Well, as I say, the the inflation uh, squeezes real terms incomes because although wage growth might pick up uh, a little bit for workers um, with strong bargaining power, it probably won't keep pace uh, in aggregate. So we expect quite sizable falls in real terms household income this year. That should slow down growth alongside uh, a greater uncertainty and perhaps the impact of policy tightening as well. So all in all, we expect GDP to be a lot lower at the end of our forecast at the end of next year than we did three months ago. So we now forecast 2.6% growth for the Eurozone this year, 1.8% growth for the Eurozone next year. So what we're looking at uh, relative to previous expectations is a very sharp slowdown, um, but our central case is not for recession. Fair enough, but the word on everyone's lips at the moment when they talk about economics is stagflation. What what are the risks of that? Uh, Well, absolutely. In this report, we run through various uh, scenarios, including a stagflationary scenario. And what we show is, even if energy prices were to go back to their early March peaks and remain there, the additional inflation that would generate and the additional income squeeze would probably be 
uh, enough to tip Europe into recession. On top of that, you potentially have rationing of energy, you have a bigger uncertainty effect. So the point is, it's very easy to generate stagflationary scenarios uh, for the European economy. I quite agree. And it's not our central case because energy prices have moderated uh, off their highs, but very easy to do. And I would also say our, our central case of 2.6% growth, a lot of that reflects the base effect from the sharp COVID recovery last year. You'd still get nearly 2% growth, even if there was no growth in any quarter of this year. So what can policymakers do to avoid some of those risks, Simon? Well, that's the trillion euro question, isn't it? The central banks, of course, are caught between this very, very high level uh, of inflation, but the knowledge that if they tighten too quickly or over tighten, they could intensify that income squeeze and be a, a trigger for potentially tipping the economy into recession. Our central case is still that the central banks uh, start raising rates through this year, but they will do so fairly cautiously, at least uh, relative to the US Federal Reserve. For fiscal policy, that's the obvious tool to be used and indeed is being used to help households through this income squeeze. But even then, there are limits to what they can do. High debt burdens mean across Europe, governments are very sensitive now to rises in interest rates. And of course, borrowing costs are rising. So it's a tricky situation. Simon, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Piers. Let's get an update on the currency markets now with Paul Mackle, Global Head of FX Research. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Paul, many now say that higher U.S. interest rates should equal a weaker dollar. Do you agree? Well, the short answer is no. We haven't agreed with it for some time. I think many people were grabbing onto certain analogs and, and drawing comparisons to what would happen when the Fed lifted off in March this year, but we were pushing back against that view uh, for a while, simply because there are periods in the past when the Fed started to raise interest rates, but the dollar actually stayed strong. We think very much that's the environment that we're in. There's been a lot of focus on interest rate curves and how certain segments have inverted recently. What do you think that means for the dollar? Well, again, I mean, we're encountering this thought process that this is something to worry about for the dollar from a cyclical perspective, but we don't agree with that. If you look back in time, when the curve uh, has been flattening, say something like twos, tens, or even inverted, actually the dollar was more likely to strengthen than weaken. You know, for us to get bearish on the dollar, we still come back to some of our key conditions. And that is we would need to see a much stronger reacceleration in global growth, or perhaps a repricing lower of a Fed fund expectations or rate height expectations. But neither one of those two conditions are on the cards. So as I said, I think the dollar is going to stay stronger than probably people think. And commodity currencies have been on a strong run recently. Do you see that continuing? We're probably more cautious now because they've had such a powerful run over the last few weeks. Now, commodity prices, as we know, have really lifted a lot of commodity currencies, whether in the developed markets like the Aussie dollar or some of the emerging market currencies like the Brazilian real. But I think we need to be a little bit careful uh, because there's been such a potent amount of strength uh, lately. And it doesn't fit with the backdrop for global growth that is clearly showing downside risks, at least over the next quarter or so. And normally when that's happening, those type of commodity currencies tend to underperform. We take a closer look at the outlook for the Australian dollar in the latest currency outlook. We've liked it for quite a long time, but now we're beginning to think it's looking 
overstretched. Paul, thanks very much. Thank you very much. We end this week with a look at the latest PMI data. James Pomeroy, global economist, has been assessing the numbers and what they can tell us about the state of the economy. He joins us now. So James, what are the latest headline data showing? So the global PMIs uh, in March looked still relatively decent in terms of the growth outlook. Things clearly softened a little bit, a combination of higher prices, uh, geopolitical tensions, of course, and higher numbers of COVID-19 cases in Asia, all weighing um, on the outlook. But the pace of growth is still relatively um, robust, all of that being considered based on those um, PMI figures. The really interesting part, though, is more on the pricing side, um, where we saw another pickup in input price components in both the manufacturing and the services side. And we're starting to see um, a resurgence in those output price indicators too, particularly um, on the services side of the economy. Um, So it suggests that whilst activity um, may be slowing down a little bit, inflationary pressures continue to build. Are you seeing any differences between services and manufacturing? So the manufacturing data almost universally softened just a little bit. Data still look pretty decent. There's still um, relatively robust demand for goods across the world, and those manufacturing numbers continue to reflect that. And those price increases um, are pretty evident in in almost every single economy um, we get data for. The services side is a little bit uh, more interesting. There's a little bit more divergence um, in the West, so in the US and in in Western Europe. Um, We've seen slightly better data, actually, in March, which would be a surprise given some of the uh, cost of living squeezes and some of the uncertainty that's clearly um, increased in recent uh, months. But the, most of this is because of the reopening um, of a lot of economies and the continued reopening of a lot of economies um, after restrictions came off um, at the beginning of the year. So there's still a little bit of momentum um, in the service sector in that part of the world. But we're seeing a very different story um, in China um, where, where things look a little bit softer. And let's look at China in more detail. COVID-19 cases have risen there, prompting further lockdown measures What impact have these had? So the Chinese data have fallen off quite considerably um, in March, particularly in the service sector, where we saw um, the biggest drop in the PMI um, since um, the the very beginning of 2020. So much, much weaker data on the service sector, manufacturing data um, a a little weaker too. So clearly these um, restrictions that have come into place are having quite a big impact on the near-term growth outlook, particularly um, affecting the service sector um, as consumers um, either can't go out and spend or choosing to be um, much more cautious with their spending Um, And that doesn't bode well um, for the near-term growth outlook. You mentioned some of these higher input cost indices. How worried should policymakers be? Uh, It's clearly a concern. Um, A lot of these uh, input costs are surging because of higher commodity prices, but also higher um, wage costs, particularly in the service sector. And and policymakers across the world are already grappling um, with a whole range of different issues around inflation, high inflation, uncertain inflation. And these continued increases um, in these input costs are clearly going to add to that. Um, For now, at least the spillover into output prices hasn't been quite as as clear, but it's one of the big risks um, for inflation Um, throughout 2022 is that businesses, given the relatively robust um, demand outlook, continue to pass more and more of these higher input costs on consumers. uh, And therefore, there is an upside risk um, to um, headline inflation rates from these um, very elevated um, input price and output price um, indices in the PMIs, particularly in the service sector, um, where we're seeing costs rise um, very, very quickly now. James, thanks for the update. Thank you very much. So that's all from us today. Thank you to our guests, Simon Wells, Paul Mackle, and James Pomeroy. 
Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.